You ever get you ever get bitten on the top of your head by a mosquito? Yeah, I do. It sucks. <laughs> I feel the pain. <laughs> it, it is There's weird. Like, struggles we have. <laughs> Welcome back to the Liberty Portal Podcast, everybody. I am one of your hosts, Joe Sheehan, and this is uh, one of my co-hosts, David Rand. Hey, everybody. Right. Welcome to the new space. Look at this. We look so great. Joe's been working hard on getting us more room, a little more elbow room, and a little more, uh, I don't know, control, I guess. Probably easier visually with the uh, It feels space. more out of control than ever, but it's, <laughs> that's part of the fun. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, change is always difficult. But yeah, follow me at uh, Liberty underscore Rand on Twitter. Cool. And uh, check us out. Oh, you changed Light, up your, subscribe. You changed up your stuff. Well, I mean, I had to. I got to go with the David Rand brand. And then additionally that, like, David Rand was taken by my own account that I deactivated forever ago, and now I can get it back, and I'm trying to transfer it and actually kill it, but now it says it's taken. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I see. I don't internet well, apparently. I thought I did, but I don't. Well, at least you know what Google Sheets is. Yeah, exactly. I do know what Google <laughs> Sheets is. Google Drive. Unlike our guy in the back. That's a dig at Evan. He, he's not familiar with the Google suite of products. It's all right, though. He's a Microsoft guy. Kyle Mack, how are you, sir? Hello. You can follow me at Captain Quigley on Twitter, where I talk about penguins and such when I'm not on this podcast talking about po- politics and stuff. So, Yes, absolutely. I still want to know more. We need to, we need to have a, a deep dive into the penguin lifestyle. <laughs> what is that all about? What does it mean? What does it mean to you? Since everybody is like, I'll plug in their Twitter and stuff, you can follow me on Twitter at the Joe Sheehan because I'm the best one i feel like you're more of an instagram guy like you're much more i am i am i definitely ruffle feathers on instagram at least that's my impression well it's an artist's medium right it's all visual that's true and it's all like like myself well see i mostly just like like spam repost political stuff onto my story (laughs) and i don't really do that much else (laughs) i post pictures of fish that i catch that's that's basically it that's fair that's the place for it yeah that twitter's not really the space for fish no, that no. and your Tinder profile. Those <laughs> are the two places for the fish you catch. I mean, all the ladies on Tinder love a good fish pick. <laughs> this is this is science. It's confirmed. <laughs> this man can can provide, sir. <laughs> it's all about the size of the fish. <laughs> it's Trumpism. <laughs> it's a very big fish. I gotta say, was, some fish. say it was the biggest fish. The biggest fish. They said, "Sir, that is the biggest fish I've ever seen." <laughs> probably seventeen 30, hand lengths long, thirty inches <laughs> more, probably. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about? We're gonna today? talk about the news today. <laughs> yeah. That, so, and that, obviously, that, you've noticed I will we say have that, a new that, open. That's, yeah, that's the an intro unlike any other. Yeah. We've right. Had so, far, <laughs> right. so, well, new space, new intro, uh, same crew, and uh, we also got. Obviously, like, follow, subscribe, hit the notification bell on YouTube. Give us those rankings. We don't have that many rankings. We've got a lot more listeners on Spotify than we have, like, ratings. So give us some ratings out there, guys. Like, make sure that uh, you like us. We have a ton of news. We can't possibly cover all the news. So if you keep building our audience by sharing and, you know, advertising our podcast with us, uh, we can start doing more news and then keep you on top of stuff a little easier. That's right. Uh, With maybe shorter segments or more frequent segments, stuff like that. Absolutely. So first up, we got Hunter Biden. This is the son of the president, uh, is expected to plead plead guilty for a tax-related misdemeanor crimes as part of a plea agreement deal and uh, various other connected stories to that. Yeah. So so can we just first paint the picture, the constellation of things that he's sort of implicated in? Because he came into prominence briefly right around the 2020 election when his laptop which he had left at a computer repair store was given to the FBI or leaked somehow to journalists and all of this really incriminating 
evidence, pictures and all this of him doing lewd acts and drugs and this and that, like became available, right? Mm -hmm. And that was initially dismissed by the FBI and suppressed by social media, Twitter, et cetera. And the, and the FBI going into social media companies and telling them that this is going to be a thing that's happening. Because... And it's just Russian dis like Russian hacker stuff, right? Exactly. Because it's Russian disinformation and it can't... We don't want Russian disinformation affecting the election. election. Right. So that that's the backstory here. Obviously, the public who got to see all this stuff is like, Oh my God, like this is the son of the president. He's doing all the, the, these criminal behaviors. Why isn't he getting any ramifications? Why isn't he being prosecuted for any of these crimes he's obviously committing? We have his picture on all these files. So now he finally is getting prosecuted for something. For something. Well, something. So in, it's not. Is complete... that related to the laptop? There are emails on the laptop that are a component of this, uh, but it's also subpoenaed information from what I read. Gotcha. So some of it is information that suggested coordination and the leverage of State Department resources privately for him. So, for example, his dad is the vice president at the time. He's using that relationship. Is that corruption? Right. So they have to subpoena information to see if money actually changed hands in these in the arrangements. Additionally, that there are certain parts of the emails, such as we'll get we got to get the big guy in on this when talking about things. They never refer to Biden directly, but there's this euphemism as the big guy that a lot of people think is Biden. It's reasonable to assume that because why else would you pay someone, what was it, $600,000 a year salary to be on an energy company in Ukraine? Yeah. And, 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 that goes, and that goes back to like 2016 stuff too. Yeah. Is, um, uh, particularly with that was like, this is the reason why Trump got impeached the first time mm -hmm. originally because there was the quid pro quo with the weapons deal in order for the Ukrainian government to look into the Hunter Biden situation, right? right. And this was the whole reason that the initial impeachment happened. Right. Trump. And there's also the uh, released audio that suggests that he was had business deals in China as well that he was leveraging very specifically. Uh, and we have a released audio link that allow uh, you can hear a lot of the conversation about what he's talking about. It does suggest using that sort of corruption of State Department resources, State Department connections in order to make money for him and his family. Uh, there was also uh, so what we have, the only like charges are tax failing to file his taxes correctly. Right. Uh, for example, okay, so we're going to laugh. This is very serious crime. He, he, to be he, clear, filing your taxes wrong got Wesley Snipes put in jail. Wesley Snipes, right? <laughs> if you or I were to file our taxes wrong to the degree that this guy did, you, we would be in jail too. So there's definitely some very serious, very like, before we get into the funny part, very serious implications here about both electorally for the president's reelection, right? I mean, his son is potentially using him to make money in a very corrupt way. But also the unequal justice of what applies, what would, would apply to you or to me or to Wesley Snipes because he doesn't he doesn't have friends at the DOJ, doesn't apply to Hunter Biden because he's the son of the right person. And is that is that compatible with what it means to live in a free republic? It isn't. No, it's ruled by elite. It's an oligarchy. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L 
patriots.com. Which means Hunter Biden, what he did was he uh, filed as business expenses hookers and sex parties, right? That was that's that's part of the tax issue. <laughs> and I thought it so was just, hilarious. Imagine this guy filling out his taxes and he's looking at his expenses and he's he says like, I don't know what it costs to get into one of these parties, but ten grand. I mean, it's a business expense. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a networking. Ne- it's a networking event, right? <laughs> it's how could you the chutzpah, right? The 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 sheer amount. I mean, like remember back in 2010, all these Tea Party groups were out there just doing their Tea Party thing, out there dressing up in you know regalia, and carrying a Gadsden flag and protesting, and they were prosecuted by the IRS for failing to file their taxes right for political speech spending. These, you know, $10,000, you know, small budget, tiny little groups who are just compiling money and then spending it to get permits to go to a park and wave a flag around. That was a major problem. We got people spending decade in, decades in jail for January 6th, but this guy, nothing, right? Like this tiny little probation slap on the wrist. It's absolutely absurd. Well, it is, but it's evident that that behavior is not frowned upon in those circles. I mean, there was a, a corollary story to this where uh, a host of some of these like high profile like orgy parties in L.A., right, came out and said Hunter Biden was there and then was banned from those parties. Right. The guy who runs them, apparently. I will put a link to this sh- in the show notes. But it's like, OK, so we know this is happening. They're not mad that like, you know, he's there. It's, it's obviously well accepted. They're mad that they're being outed for you know, being there. So it's like, no, don't tell anyone. Of course not. So uh, Trump has a campaign finance violation for improperly paying, apparently Stormy Daniels in New York, and then filing that tax wrong is the accusation and is potentially looking at an actual real lawsuit there. But this guy, probation, plead guilty for almost exactly the same crime and no real consequence at all. Yeah. Additionally, that last night, uh, he was at a party at the White House and there's video of him sitting right next to the head of the DOJ. Interesting. Yucking it up, right? So Rubbing this, elbows. This is, this is exactly the problem with the concentration of power and the lack of diffusion of power. When you have a ton of power going to the very top and a very large government that can control so much that can make these arbitrary decisions rather than a, a you know, accountable, small, decentralized government, this is the natural consequence. Oligarchies naturally form themselves. People will naturally start to bias themselves towards their what, what the founders called faction, right? To their to the people that they ha- are most aligned with. So in order to fight faction, our entire system of government was designed to to spread out the responsibility and make it difficult to have for ha- someone to have enough connections in order to get favorable treatment. That was supposed to be our guarantee of the rule of law. Since the you know the World War One, we've been we've been consolidating those uh, these these powers. Uh, not not really World War One. That's what I said. Or World War Two. World War One. Woodrow Wilson. Mm-hmm. We've been consolidating these things, and that is what's cr- caused the rise of this oligarchy. Uh, the, that our current version of it. There are oligarchies before that too, right? But that is is a natural law of human relationships. Probably that's a uh, what's that what's that uh, neocon that wrote that James Burnham. James Burnham. Yeah. So that's a that's a classic, a good example of that. What is the solution? The solution is not only not only don't really let Biden, but <laughs> uh, to the strategy for conservatives and libertarian types need to start thinking carefully about okay how do we how do we make sure that we hold accountable people without going over the line of the law, 
when they violate the law and hold them to account when we get power rather than just shuffling all the rungs and focusing on a tax cut, right? right? We got to really think about, I mean, tax cuts are important. They're good too. But thinking carefully about how do we make sure that if Republicans gain control, how do they hold these sorts of actors accountable? The same way that the Democrats held accountable a bunch of randos that walked into the Capitol on January 6th. Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, people align themselves with factions. You know, they they look out for their friends. I think that is perfectly human nature. So maybe the question is, as voters, how do we keep from putting people into these positions of power that are going to inevitably abuse them? Is there a way to avoid that? Or is anyone who is particularly drawn to be a member of Congress, a you know, president, a member of a cabinet or whatever, any position of authority or power, are they naturally drawn to this place where, well, I'm going to just kind of fall in line with the people that I'm around, the people that, you know, I'm associating with because I want to be well-liked, I want to be respected, and I want to be part of this club, this exclusive group, mm-hmm. right? Is there a way to even avoid that? Yeah, I mean- Can I, we vote for someone that's that's better than that? I think there's a couple steps between the voters and that situation that's going on in D.C. You need a culture change in D.C., right? Part of that's process. We need a process change so we can get the culture change. We need a culture change so we can get the process change, right? Well, right, so, and that's my question is like, how do you change the process without the, it happening from the ground up? Right, so is your candidate talking about how the culture in D.C. is corrupt and terrible? Or are they talking about how much, how we got to bring back stability and make sure that everyone gets a cut in the share, right? Are they talking about how much money they can bring into your state? Or are they talking about how much government they're going to cut and get out of your life? Those are some simple signals that anyone who isn't keeping track on the news can can follow. And I think um, in general, at least then you have a standard to hold someone to account to. Now, Second you, to that, we need a media and a press that actually that isn't partisan or at least is diverse enough and people who listen to divergent voices enough that press that fall into a partisan trap are held accountable to that. And so there's a disincentive to become that. So one of the best things you can do is stop listening to, you know, the oligarchy media and, you know, spread the message of the more decentralized, more, um, uh, anti-establishment media that is actually trying to work to talk about what the p- real problems are, not just keep you distracted with all of these kind of, you know, silly stories. Uh, I guess the submarine doesn't qualify as a silly story anymore, but it was, it, it, it first thing that came out to my mind was like, ah, submarine, uh, but that's a good example. That's an example, right? We talked about that all week. We didn't talk as much about the Biden thing as I think would be due. If this was another regime I think the media would have focused on it way more. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think oh. the story, the, the submarine thing is a total tragedy. It's terrible. I don't mean to underplay that. I'm just saying like in the context of we are fighting a war in Ukraine, perhaps because of connections that the president has to an energy company in Ukraine and a long-term like corruption scandal within his family, that, that is, that's the survival of the entire human race on the line. And yeah. we're, and we're, we're talking about submarines, right? Like that's a- I've, I've heard it called possibly the greatest- corruption scandal in human history or in all of like American history at very least. I mean, it, it has those kind of implications. Right. And presidents have lost because of that. Warren Harding lost because of a corruption scandal having to do with like investments out West way back in the day. Um, good thing for us because that's why, why we got Calvin Coolidge, the best president ever. Calvin Coolidge. Really? Oh, yeah. He's well, up why? He's up there. He's way up there. Cool cow? I, I don't know cow. anything about oh, yeah. He. The guy was a straight baller. Okay, so uh, not only did he, in a recession, cut spending and taxes, he um, he, deemed, uh, he demilitarized. Uh, he stood up to unions, even though he was a bit of a progressive on some issues. Um, he, uh, Amity Shales has a great biography called Coolidge that is just wonderful. And it talks about him. He, he suffered you know, tremendous personal loss, but, but kept 
this presence, this really great direction, uh, and his uh, way he could articulate freedom and like he doesn't get nearly enough credit. But one of the reasons why he's not talked about is because he never went to war and he lived in a time of peace and prosperity. Right. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a while ago too. So that's another. But it, it is important. The Warren G. Harding thing too is uh, very important because his presidency was marked with scandals and he was called this like womanizer and things like this. And he was very much like the anti-establishment figure at the time as well. Like his whole campaign slogan was return to normalcy. Mm-hmm. Sounds very similar to like make America great again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's very much like let's stop doing all this nonsense from the Woodrow Wilson era and let's kind of like get back on track. And then, and then that leads into silent Cal coming in and, being this prosperous president right mm-hmm. um so and it just it just so happened that he just started getting marked with all these crazy uh uh scandals uh throughout the end of his presidency so it's it is kind of like who they choose to get hit with scandals because every president's got scandals right oh yeah it's like interesting but they don't talk about him because nothing eventful happened during his presidency yeah well it's like today today you'll hear this all the time it's like obama never had any scandals or anything it's like i could name like 12 (laughs) 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 like it's like fast and furious there was like a whole gun running scheme there's uh there's american citizens getting drone bombed like all this stuff happened benghazi Benghazi, yeah Uh, maybe or not i think that's just kind of like a foreign policy blunder i don't know if i would call it a scandal but but the cover-up of it was pretty pretty the cover-up of it yeah 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 yeah. So, I mean, like, there was a reason why Benghazi had many post hearings after Obama wasn't even president anymore, right? Of well, still I, I guess I guess one on of the scandals the cover up. was uh, um, oh, sorry, I was thinking Benghazi is what you said. I was just thinking Libya. I was thinking Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, Mo- oh, Mo- oh Gaddafi. Right, sorry, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, Benghazi. Yeah, that was definitely a scandal, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But invading eight countries is not a scandal, right? No, <laughs> which is ironic. No, Without it's, it's, pres- it's presidential. That's yeah, par that's for the pres- course. That's what makes him a president. Great example. Another game of this of this dynamic. Trump obviously slandered by the press every day from the time he was a candidate. As soon as he caught in, the first time he dropped a bomb in Afghanistan, like he became president today. No, I, I remember like, like there was like in the corporate media, like on CNN, you had like these big talking heads being like, "This is the first time I've ever felt that President Trump was really a strong president." It's like a presidential like, bar mitzvah to drop a bomb, it's and, like, and it was yeah, it was dropping a bomb. It was dropping on a bomb <laughs> on a on an airstrip in Syria. Like I remember what the bomb was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty typical. So that's that's kind of like the culture of the blob. So ultimately, I think there's two different ways of looking at it. And, I, and I'm not sure that there's any one right answer. One is get into D.C. quietly, work your way up to leadership, and then change everything. Right? That's, that's an idea. The other one is go there, say what you think is true, stand on your principles, take the arrows, and change the culture from the bottom. Top down, bottom up. You probably need a little bit of both to actually get to the place we want to go to. Um, but I think the bottom-up solution is usually the better solution, both because you don't compromise your values on the way there, right? Because if you, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people that I know that go in as the bottom-up solution end up compromising their values on the way there. Right, and, they, and, sure. they, and they stop filling in the bottom-up you know, mentality. Right, right, right. And there might be a shelf life to that, uh, especially if you're the first one in, right? If you're taking all the arrows first, that could, that could be more to it. But- if, if everyday folks are thinking, okay, what kind of questions can I ask? Especially I mean, if you're in Montana, go to a Lincoln Reagan dinner when they're in town. Ask them a question to their face. Like that's very easy to do in a state like Montana. If you're in another state, you know, those are get a little more, more complicated. But if you want to, you can ask a senator a question. You just got to be the right place, right time and, and get there, right? Start showing up to your local central committee. Start talking to them there. Um, the same thing, if you have an LPP candidate or, or you know, Libertarian Party candidate, um, 
you know, you want to hold them to account, you got to show up to the party meetings and start talking to them. See what their real victory theory is. See if what their real philosophy is. It only happens by engagement. There's no zero effort way to do this, right? You can't change the country just by listening to a podcast. Sorry, I wish you could. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't change the country just by doing a podcast either. So don't worry, we're out there doing stuff too. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but it's the network effects of that that do, right? right. It's, the, it's the people being equipped with the knowledge, hopefully with the history, like we just covered a little bit, the philosophy, like we're just trying to articulate and kind of connect dots with. And then additionally, that the implementation into a theory of victory that allows you to hold account the people who matter, who yeah. make the decisions. I think it's, you know, just to circle back briefly to one thing you mentioned, it, it is important to stop patronizing, to stop consuming content of outlets that are not giving you accurate, impartial news, right? I mean, and I think we're seeing the effects of that right now. We saw BuzzFeed News go down a few months ago. We saw Vice just filed for bankruptcy not too long ago. And we know that both of those have, have had perhaps, you know, uh, points in their history where they've been better or worse, but obviously have trended in one particular direction, and that's very partisan left. And obviously that's where most of the media resides, most of the legacy media, as, as I call it, or the oligarchy media, I like that term too. Um, but obviously, you know, we're, we're witnessing this decentralization of media right now, and we're a part of it on this podcast, and there are, you know, dozens of other, other shows as well that are really trying to do the same thing and get people engaged in uh, a different way to think about the events that are happening in our world. And I think that's super important. Engage with those, whatever you can to support us and every other shows it is great. Like that really, you know, patronize sponsors, use the discount codes and all that stuff that they have. Like that's, that's really, really important uh, because it allows us to continue to, to dig and to do better journalism, better reporting, give you more clear and concise opinions and all that stuff. I agree. And a great example of that on that, like kind of, other news is the Joe Rogan RFK Jr. story, which happened this week. Uh, RFK Jr. goes on to Joe Rogan. He talks about all the greatest hits, man. He's talking about vaccines. I mean, you can't talk about vaccines, right? We're probably already gotten taken down just by me saying that. <laughs> he talks about uh, the intelligence community. And he talks about the foreign policy dis disaster. He talks about inflation and all this stuff. It was really a great interview. Uh, but of course, because it was a great interview, all the mainstream press, all the all the oligarchy press. I love that. We're going to use that for now. The <laughs> oligarchy press lost their minds, especially on Twitter. Uh, and we found, uh, you know, everything from the new shift of malinformation. Now, remember, malinformation is information that goes against the narrative. Is now been rebranded as anti-science information. Only when it's targeted at science, though, right? Right. Because right, there right. could be malinformation outside of scientific realm. But when it's <laughs> right. but when it's when you're attacking the Lord and Savior science, mm -hmm. it's anti-science. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think the important thing is for a little bit of context too. So you end up having this guy, uh, Professor Peter Hotez, who's been on Rogan's show a handful of times, and I think the last time he was on was kind of at the very beginnings of the pandemic, and he was talking about like the necessity of the vaccines and all this stuff, right? Um, he starts he starts going out and just starts tweeting at Joe basically saying that like having these people on it's like this fascist way of doing things and he just starts it's all this stuff that anybody that's tuned in knows the tactics that they use so Joe comes out and says Peter $100,000 to the charity of your choice and you and RFK Jr can come have a debate on my podcast and since then this guy Peter Hotez who is a doctor. He's, he works in vaccines, I, I believe. I don't know. He, I want to say he's a public health official, but I, I, I get, don't know. Which I, I get weird vibes from him. He's like a guy that's like dressing up like he's pretending to be a doctor on TV. Like I like, get very weird vibes from him. He's got the, the Bill Nye the Science <laughs> yeah, guy, he's like got bow tie that. thing. Yeah. He's got that. Because like if you watch some of the old clips from him, like especially on Rogan, it's like, wow, this guy's like, 
I, I don't know. It's like he couldn't defend any of his stances or anything. Like he's not good, like a good figure for this. But he's he makes he made like a fifty million dollars off of this stuff. Like I, I don't know. It's it's weird, weird vibes. But since then, this hundred thousand dollar bet or one hundred thousand dollar charity donation has risen to I think the last number I saw is two point six million dollars of people contributing money in to have this debate. And the guy just will not do it because he thinks that it'd be highlighting misinformation people anti-science people you know the whole the whole mm-hmm. ringer but. And, the, and the classic of this is that you have a guy who's supposedly the more qualified individual debating an environmentalist um, environmental lawyer right this guy if he really believes in what he believes should be able to go in there and just wipe the floor with this guy be like hey you haven't heard of this study you haven't done this what about this ratio what about this st- statistic you know like it, of course if he knows the material he should be able to debate it no but the response on Twitter was, it is, it is to give a microphone to the wrong people to have a qualified person in the field debate somebody who is unqualified, right? Which is like, how do you do education? How, right. how, do, you, how do you think about popular sovereignty in a republic where everything is politicized if you can't debate things publicly? If it's fascist to debate things publicly, that's an insane proposition. Yes. Um, the LA Times called this interview uh, a threat to your health and our democracy. There's that right. word, our democracy. That's our the, democracy. That's the religion right there. Right. So that's like that's a good, a good sign that you are being manipulated if you read someone says your public health and our democracy. Because the idea of democracy, at least in the expansive classical liberal sense, included free speech and free popular engagement with issues of relevance. That was the idea of informed individuals being able to have a stake in their government was that they would be able to participate, not just in voting, but also in speech about these sorts of issues, about the public dialogue around these issues. And like if you read like John Stuart Mill on liberty, classic work of classical liberalism, what, what he believed was just like market price, prices, you know, work together in a spontaneous order way to design a price for things, right? You have all these producers and consumers coming together to negotiate to then find the right price of grain so that you can allocate resources to grain appropriately and get more get bread where it needs to go, so too is truth with free speech. We have all these people engaging and talking about an issue and then sussing out what's true, what's, what's the wheat, torturous analogy, what's the chaff, what is the good thing, what's the bad thing, what is true, and then that, that idea rises to the top. And to, to lose belief in that, that is the greatest sin of progressivism. Right. That was the, to name the devil, right? To name the thing that's sitting in the background that's informing all of this was a particular set of ideas. And I don't mean modern progressivism, although it still bears a lot of these strains, right? It's changed a lot. Was the progressivism of the progressive era from 1880 to the 1930s, 19, in there, of this core idea that society would be so much better if we had an oligarchy of scientists to run everything. That idea is corrosive to classical liberalism and it's destroying, it has destroyed so much of our social order. And this is what they're, this is what they're calling on. This is the religion they're pulling from to justify their views. And they're never going to say, oh, if we just had the doctors run everything, everything would be better. Right. But what they're going to do is they're going to say anyone who talks about this that doesn't have the qualifications that I think they should shouldn't be allowed to talk or should be ignored by responsible people. Well, and I, I just pulled up an article from the New York Times here. It's an opinion piece that says uh, you can't win against it. You can't win a debate against someone who disregards facts. And there's a very kind of 
huber there's a hubris to this of like we know what the facts are like the the, the science is settled right like mm-hmm. we always heard that through covid is that the science is settled and anybody that goes against what we currently know as the facts is like they're just misinformation um pause for the cosmo crack fresh <laughs> get yourself a zesty this episode is brought to you by our friends at zesty beverages they're on a mission to un the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Yeah, ignore. I, I, I obviously, I have a, I have a bot that auto blocks anybody that works for the New York Times. So <laughs> that's that's why you see the blocked on there. <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. You know, it's it, a strange it, choice. You're like, nope, don't need it. <laughs> no, but that's that's you're not wrong. Like that's that's a great uh, that's a great perspective. Well, and I want to I want to circle back to something that you said. You know about this idea that if just the scientists and the doctors run everything, the world would be so much better. We actually had an opportunity to experience that for the last three years during COVID. And how did it feel for everyone? It was not that great. We shut down the economy. We we perpetrated all of these, you know, different systems of oppression and control on, on society that we then discover in hindsight are less effective across the board. Doesn't matter whether you're talking about masks or vaccines or whatever, lockdowns were less effective and had more deleterious effects than we ever could have perceived. And yet the people, the very people who you think should be responding and using the scientific method to adapt and change to new data were so locked to their ideology that they could not possibly see that they were doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing if they were really scientists. That's oh, right. man. It was Eric Weinstein had the had a great thread on it. I'll, I'll maybe give it to you for Joe for the show notes because sure. we won't go through the entire thing. But he had this great thread just uh, imploring Peter Hotez to come and do the debate because he and he he says things along the lines of like the science in air quotes um, is fighting against science and it's just kind of like we're playing these weird language games right now and no actual sciencing is being done at all it's just it's just pure religious speculation on all sides of this stuff yeah um, so yeah I, I think it's a uh, um, worthwhile is going and looking at a uh, Eric Weinstein's uh, Twitter thread here. Well, that gets, to the, that gets to the heart of why progressivism is wrong about this idea that you could have a intellectual elite run everything. And that is because there's always a negotiation of values, right? Liberty or safety? Which one do we decide on, right? I would always, uh, Thomas Jefferson quote, I would always rather have the inconveniences of too much liberty than the tyranny of too much safety. So the most important question in politics is who decides, do you decide the value exchange, the trade-off between liberty and safety, or does the government decide for you? And you say, well, I want safety. Great. You control your life for safety, and other people can control their life for other ways. That's why the, the role of government in a, in, a, in, a, in a pandemic should be to equip people with the right information so that they can make the best contextual decisions based upon their individual circumstance to protect themselves and others and make sure that they have, you know, that, that they can take the reasonable steps because only they know, only they have the knowledge. This is the Hayekian knowledge problem. This is why socialism fails. It's also why this fails. They only, only they have the localized knowledge to be able to make the determination of those exchange of values to, to live that out in the real world. That's the advantage that liberty has over statism is that a singular solution 
can't conclude all I can't include all the information that you need to help everyone. While in liberty, you can't. Right. And and there, there's gonna be trade-offs and there's gonna be bad things that happen there too. But the question is, is like which burden would you rather have? And who decides what what, what burdens what those costs are? And that's that's where we got it. We got this great video from Thomas Sowell talking about this very specifically when it comes with to the V word. <laughs> the V word. <laughs> Man, we are so far down that rabbit hole. You can just go ahead and say it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was not there are no there are no solutions. There are just trade-offs. Safety is a classic example. Uh Every, every, every year, so many hundreds of thousands of people are uh, vaccinated against uh, measles, smallpox, those kinds of things. Now, this saves and that's several hundred lives that it's estimated. It also causes brain damage to about 30 kids a year. Now, there are no solutions in that. There are just trade-offs. What about that there are no, there are no- So that's, uh, what's, if that makes you uncomfortable, perfect. That's exactly how you should feel. If you say that, you're like, well, what should I do? perfect because you are making the decision right now if you don't want your kid to get those vaccines because you're you're worried about their vaccine sensitivity a lot of school districts are going to force you to do so right what do you do pick a different school yeah or hopefully you have a regime where you can afford to right or (laughs) homeschool or whatever but that's the whole point is like who decides right who navigates that trade-off thinking the world in terms of trade-off is the adult way to think about it thinking as there's an answer a science or the science is a utopian way to think of the world. It's an idealistic way that a child would choose. Well, it's also it's also worth remembering is in the beginnings of all this, how much stuff was being said and censored that has turned out to be true. Um, for instance, we had this Wall Street Journal article um, confirming the Wuhan Institute of Virology scientists who were sickened in November 2019. 2019 is important there because we locked down much much later than that. Um, I remember, like, I remember, I think it was like January or February of 2020 when Zero Hedge got taken down for reporting on all of this stuff um, about the Wuhan lab. And it got completely struck from Twitter and they lost their Twitter account. This is before Elon Musk, obviously, um, had it. Uh, you know, it's it's important. Cause, and now all this stuff is basically just like public knowledge. Like, yeah. we're, like we're, we're all just like, yeah, Wuhan lab. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Obviously. La- la- lab leak. But at the point in time, if, if you didn't talk about how it was because of bats or bat soup in a Wuhan wet market, like you would get removed from social media companies. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a feeling it might be one of the reasons why I got removed from some of my social media. <laughs> but Well, and I think it's part of the reason why Dr. Hotez does not want to debate because he's entwined in that whole scandal as well. He's, you know, he's he also, very, he also very... makes a lot of money off of this stuff, too. Like right. people getting their boosters is money in his pockets. Like totally. that's a very important thing on this. Something that I don't think a lot of people know is that uh, scientists who do research on vaccines or, or any drug for that matter can get royalties from them, from the drug companies. Who is it that owns the patent on the COVID vaccines? I think it's the NIH. NIH scientists, those that are supposed to be looking out for our public health are getting financial rewards from Pfizer and from Moderna and the other vaccine manufacturers for selling them for the more the more that they they sell the more money they make mm-hmm. that if if that is not a conflict of interest i don't know what it is and this, and is, a, and this is a point that rfk jr has been bringing up on all these exactly. podcasts too yes is that there's no real firewall that exists here and you have people just bouncing between organizations as regulators and as businessmen basically right and uh, they're getting all these profits from this stuff right right and i think the thing that, that people can take from this is other than just a sense of like oh great like well 
you know, the fox is watching the hen house. What am I going to do about that? Is really just to understand like this should play into your calculus of, of your decision making. Understand that the people that are saying this is totally okay and safe and good for you are also getting paid to tell you that, right? So just that doesn't mean take it or don't take it, whatever it is. If it's a vaccine or it's something else, just think about that. What, how does that change your impression of their opinion? Do you hold it as the gold standard anymore? I sure don't. I definitely don't. Right. It's kind of like a tobacco exec being like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with tobacco. Right. Right. It's good, it's good for you. <laughs> and now you're yeah. like, tobacco is objectively bad for you. Sure. Yeah. Right. We have more evidence now than we had back then, uh, back when we were, that was a debate topic. Um, but the question is, should you treat it with the same amount of skepticism? Right. And, exactly. and, and, and it, to be clear, we're not saying don't get vaccinated. No. What we're saying is there's a trade off for everything. The ideal situation for medicine is individualized medicine, right? And there's some great opportunities in technology to get there where we can say, have a better predictive model for, you know, basically testing ahead of time. Will this affect you negatively? But we'll never develop that technology if we say we can't ask the question, do vaccines sometimes have negative on unintended consequences for the people who take them? If we just sweep that on the rug and just ignore as a society because we're afraid what the rubes will think. And I say that with irony, what the rubes will think of there being a trade-off in this area, then we'll never develop the technology to mitigate against those risks. Exactly. Which is the real fear to me. Yeah, right. well, and, and, and the, the core thing here is like, like that's the thing is like everybody should be able to make the voluntary choice of what they want to do with their body, right? Um, if, if, if you think that you're going to be subject to needing some extra protection towards a certain disease or something like that, then, then you're going to want to make the calculus and maybe lean in favor of that. If you're more risk tolerant and you, you know, you're kind of waiting for more information, then you might want to wait or, you know, whatever, like, right. It, it's, uh, the, the problem is, is what we end up having here is where you have governments just coming in and mandating or like stripping away certain freedoms. If you don't have these things, it's like, I, I remember in the, uh, I remember during the pandemic response, I watched all these libertarian uh, folk and these libertarian organizations basically saying like, um, basically praising the idea of vaccine passports and things like that, which with, I would thought was crazy that I would see libertarian folks doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and then I and then I watched other entities that I wouldn't be surprised that they would do this. But it's just like, I remember watching this. I was like, oh, there's like a core freedom is being stripped away here. And they're going to try to like layer you with like, well, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do this. So you might as well do it. And, and it's kind of like easing you into it kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Um, it's a uh, Cass Sunstein, um, basically smart regulations, right? Uh, it was the idea was just that you don't mandate something. What you do is you close off all the alternatives so that someone has to go that way or yeah. you incentivize them to go that way by making it slightly punishing to do something else. So rather than ban guns, you put taxes on ammo. That's a good classic yeah. example. Well, another one is like, rather than just saying you have to stay at home, you basically say you can't go to restaurants anymore, right? And, or if you go to a restaurant, it has to be all these rules and make it basically make it impossible. Or nonsensible rules like COVID can be transmitted while you're walking to your table, but not while you're sitting at your table, you know, things, things like that, uh, where you're basically setting all these things in, no matter how nonsensical it is, uh, to create the result that you want, which is, just more people doing the behavior you want without actually having to force them to do so. It, it's, a, it's a strange way to get to soft tyranny. And one of the interesting things there about the uh, vaccine passports I want to note too. So uh, some people were thinking, okay, the government needs to establish a vaccine passport. That is a terrible idea. Totally agree. The question is, is if business owners say, I only want to be, uh, my, my risk safety analysis is, is that as a business owner, I think, everyone needs to be vaccinated to come into my store. Should they be able to do that, right? So free association rights from a libertarian point of view would say yes. So how do they get that signal? 
vaccine passport, a vaccine card, something that says uh, passport's a weird word for this because it's private, but basically saying I'm vaccinated, so I should be able to allow to go here. A lot of people push back on this and say, you know, you should never be able to discriminate against anybody. But classically, the libertarian, the free, the free, the freedom philosophy has said discrimination is actually a good thing. Right. You discriminate against who you freedom date. of associations. Of right. First you discriminate right, right. against who you marry. You discriminate who your business partners are. You discriminate all the time. These are healthy things. Right. There's a jerk way to discriminate. Right. You could be a jerk about it or you could be a polite adult about it and say, hey, I just don't think this partnership's working out. The- that, that that's to me what, what got confused, especially on the right, was there was this analogy made, which is that the pandemic is like an invading army. And the best response for an army, if you're thinking about militistic, militistic, Militaristically? Militaristically. That's a mouthful. That's a word. Um, Red leather, yellow leather. (laughs) Uh, Is to, with that argument by analogy, led them, a lot of people think, well, this this is the exception to the general rule of freedom and therefore compromise their values in a very systematic way. And and I agree with that. That was an error. The best response to inviting army might not be a centralized command. Look at the Taliban. Yeah. Look at all of the major armies that have repelled using asymmetrical warfare. Uh, empires over hundreds of years and none of it's centralized. So why would, why would relative people who believe in decentralization and the power of decentralization information and people acting on independently with an overall vision driving them, why would you believe that the better response would be to centralize everything with a government passport? See, the, the thing that I think a lot of these libertarian types that, was, that were talking about vaccine passports and, and businesses and things like that, was they were kind of not looking at second and third order down the road type mm-hmm. of stuff is like, yes, I, I completely agree. I think businesses should have complete freedom of association. I don't think that I should think they should be able to discriminate against anybody. I think it's private ownership. Right. But one of the problems is a lot of the information and the incentives that it li- lied behind that mm. was it wasn't just like this is a free market and everybody gets to do all this stuff. Right. That's not how that's not how America works. America's not a free market <laughs> like, <laughs> or even close to this. this vision, right? Yeah. yeah. Like like. That would be my ideal is mm-hmm. businesses and they're able to make their own decisions. But right now there's all these incentive structures that is polluting the decision making process right now. So like, yeah, vaccine passports or vaccine businesses being able to discriminate based on vaccine like they could do it. Like I would be open to them being allowed to do that. But it's like right now that's not where we're at. We're not there. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, And it's the same thing like, with like the social media companies. It's like you had all these libertarian types saying like, oh, private company can do what it wants. But it's like these aren't these aren't private companies. They're getting government funding in grants and, and you have the FBI collusion that's going on. You, everything came out with the Twitter files, right? Like you got to have a little bit more of a broader look at these things. It's not as simple as private company can do what it wants because there's all these other incentive structures in play right. because the governments are involved. Right. You want to do a combination there. I, I totally agree. You want to do a combination of both skepticism of large corporations, right, is is warranted on its face, right? If only not not because there's something wrong with being large or being a corporation. Nothing wrong with corporations. I'm not one of those people that think corporations are somehow anti freedom. It's that in our system, as it's existed for over a hundred years, the purpose of the state is to gather everyone and move them all in the same direction, right? And so their biggest efforts are going to be placed on what move the most amount of people, which is going to be large corporations. So they have an incentive in order to create those relationships and, and, and the cronyism, right? Got this new $9 billion loan that the federal government's going to give Ford in order to build a new uh, you know, competitor to Tesla, right? To, for them to do more electric cars. That's, you think when the regulator comes down and be like, hey, here's your loan. Also, we want you to do this little tweak here. Make this little change. Right, social media companies. We know the the FBI was doing all kinds of crazy things, making suggestions. 
Uh, and what's a suggestion when you're the monopoly of force? Mm-hmm. Completely un- un- inappropriate uh, way to do that. On the other side of it, they already had this capability because of laws that Congress passed uh, that were specifically designed to fight ISIS and Al-Qaeda and <laughs> those guys. So the, it, it got t- turned from the foreign policy of you know international terrorism to domestic policy and then was for, forced on us, specifically enforced using co- the you know using COVID as the excuse to pivot those resources that way. Yeah, just people need to have a higher level of analysis on these things. Like it's yeah. one of my biggest problems with the libertarians the last few years is I think that they got really stuck in their dogma and they weren't able to uh, kind of see beyond. It's like they they were already looking as like as if things were in the perfect framework that we needed to have, and it's mm-hmm. like you need to have a little bit deeper, like. The world's not as it seems at this point. Right. right. One of the interesting wrinkles there is that states that then went the opposite direction and said you have no free association rights and banned it, right? And said like you you can't even if even if you uh, uh, say for example Evan decided to be an entrepreneur and he started his own private label uh, vaccine uh, passport, <laughs> right? And said I'm going to certify whether or not you have a vaccine by com- confirming the information and look you have a handy mobile app. You couldn't in the state of Montana now do that. Right, because it's now illegal to say to va- to discriminate on vaccine status. Is that a more a bigger wrong than the alternative? the The status quo we're in was kind of vague whether or not you could. I don't know. I think if we had a more free incentive structure, businesses would like you would end up just having these businesses that'd be like, "No, come on, I, I want your money." Yeah. And then other ones that'd be like, "Oh, we're super cautious." And then I also think insurance is probably going to be where the biggest factors in the decision making is. Mm. You're going to have there's going to be certain like insurance requirements, and that's going to be. Uh, almost all the states also waived all the insurance liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, see, like, like, this. Oh, like, almost all of them did. Like, that's yeah. the thing is, like, all of our incentives are just completely screwed up. Yeah. Like, we can't have good decision-making when all of our incentives are just so intertwined and there's all these different variables that are that are being, uh, um, like, corroded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> through, through the legislative process. Yeah, because of the legislative process and yeah. just the general monopolistic nature of the state. Right, well, and it was a conflict of visions, right? The, the vision was, if we're going to discriminate, are we going to discriminate in vaccine status or not? And then if we're going, if we're not, if we're not, if I don't think we should, because I don't want to be discriminated against, I'm a lawmaker in this case, I'm going to make sure no one can be. And so they pass a law saying that. And not every state did that, but some did. So that's, that, that there's, there's an interesting thing. There's like, what is the vision we're shooting for? How do we get to that vision without compromising our own values? And then the negotiation process to get there using the realities of politics as they sit. So there's a lot of steps between there. And a lot of people just kind of get lost in like, I got a vision and it's very disconnected from the reality. So I'm just going to, I'm going to make a stab. And I think a lot of people made bad stabs during COVID, they're including he, myself. They're, like, they're not he, everyone yeah, got their it Yeah, their heuristics right. were wrong. Like right. you had bad heuristics. If you were confused about what everything was happening, it's because you didn't have like the baseline correct and you couldn't predict it because of it. Um, something worth uh, noting, we kind of uh, passed over this is in regards to the RFK thing is that he's now been, you know, he's getting banned from a bunch of social media platforms because of this. A bunch of content's getting taken down. His interview with Jordan Peterson got taken down. Yeah, his interview with Mike Tyson, talking about falconing, got like, taken like, down. Like, like, and that's from like two years ago. Too. Yeah, right. I mean, he wasn't even a candidate. And, uh, uh, and Theo Vaughn. Theo Vaughn, well. yeah. yeah that's, that was also like a two-year-old. Uh, Which is very yeah. strange, right? I mean, like that, that like this person is now flagged on that platform. Now, we don't have any evidence that the government's doing that. Well, remember- So what, how should we think about it given the heuristics? Well- the incentive structure, though, like there, there is the incentive structure that exists that already has existed. Like these just seem to be the same mechanisms that have been used for the past several years that we've watched happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Instagram, everybody that was using his campaign email account on Instagram also was getting banned. Mm. Right. Like his entire campaign staff was getting banned <laughs> because they were using his email. Um, you know, like 
so expand so, on this a little bit. Like, so, it's like, <laughs> so what is the incentive there for a social media company to ban him? ESG scores and things like this. Like, is there's, there's all is? the well, that, that's like one. Or right? it's like that's oh, one example. There's probably know, a ton of variables. Well, we, there, sorry, but we we do know of like for example, the government has been emailing social media companies and saying, "Here's a list of people we don't like anymore." Right, and sometimes the social media companies are like, "Yeah, we agree," and got rid of them. Did that email happen with RPK? We don't know. But we do know that government has their little fingers in all this. And so therefore, it's obviously, it's understandable that people get very, well, wh- like wh- without evidence, conspiratorial about it. Because it's understandable because we, the evidence we do have is very damning of the government's activities in the space. Well, and, and, we, not and, we know, and we know certain words get flagged for YouTube monetization and video removal and things like that and strikes. Like, yeah. that's why we say the jab and the V word and like right. all yeah, this right. stuff, right? Right. <laughs> like, we all know it exists. Like, Well, I think it's interesting parallel to his sort of this clampdown on social media that's trying to seemingly scrub RFK from you know that public square so to speak he uh, just topped a poll um, for favorability net favorability so uh, you know how much do you like this person versus how much do you dislike this person he got the highest score over both Biden and Trump wow yeah so despite the fact that social media companies and perhaps in collusion with some form of, you know, the intelligence state or what have you are trying to curtail his visibility to the public. It's not working. He's going on every podcast that there is that has really great reach. Obviously the Joe Rogan podcast This is probably going to be the best highest performing podcast of Joe Rogan's career. Probably. I mean, it's, it's so far probably is. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bigger than Alex Jones. (laughs) I think maybe so. (laughs) You said the A, Jay Ward. Yeah, we're super, super banned now. It's fine. Uh, but I mean, I think it's interesting. It's it's proof in the pudding that the decentralized media revolution is working. It's changing the game here because he hasn't been on any uh, any, any network news or anything well, like that. Well, remember there was the ABC interview uh, like a month or two ago. And um, they asked him about his vaccine stances, his his V word stances. It's too late. But before the sh- the interview started, it was a thing. It was like another recorded thing of the interviewer saying, "Like there's the stuff that's we had to cut because of misinformation and all this stuff." And she gave this whole tirade. And then mid interview in the thing, they cut it. And then they cut to this point where it's her saying, "So a lot of your family disagrees you with you about your positions. Why are you going against your family?" Like, and they cut away from the vaccine a- information to that, right? Like, it's very clear what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, they have an agenda and, and they're they're executing it. But I love the fact that it's not working, at least not according to this poll. And it's very early. And, you know, this is net favorability. It's not if the election were held tomorrow, uh, would you vote for this person over this person? So what does it mean? I have no idea what it means. Is that, was that a question for that me? Was re- that was rhetorical. <laughs> rhetorical. Yeah. So... New topic, because we need to talk about this. Yes. China. 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 They love me. In Cuba. So, in early June, a White House spokesperson a spokesman confirmed reports that the Cuba-based Chinese Signals Intelligence Collection Center has been targeting the U.S. since 2019. So, what that is. Let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, so, think of the NSA, right? National Security Agency. And they intercept information from uh, uh, from everybody we now know. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, interpret that information and use that to do security analysis that they then pass on to other agencies or do operations on and things like that. 
So this signals interception is what that is, right? It's grabbing other people's communications, decrypting them, and then understanding what it is and what the strategic meaning is for your country. So they have uh, established, in, well, since 2019, they've been getting our information here in America and using that for their own signals intelligence agency. Um, it's interesting to me, especially, talk about the media narrative here. I hate podcasts that only talk about media narratives. So I'm going to try not to do that, but this is becoming the theme of this one. This was not talked about. <laughs> this came out and it was silence. Like I was looking at it in early June when I first came across it. I put out a tweet about it. I didn't see anyone else talk about it this entire time. Now this week, we have another story that came out that China has plans to build a new tra training facility in Cuba. Think about that. Cuba is less than 100 miles from Florida at some points. That is that is uh, troops from China in Cuba, very close by. Now, um, my initial response was, this is going to happen, and it's going to get ignored until someone discovers it, and it's going to blow up and get really big. Maybe it'll be our podcast that blows it up. Yeah. Yeah, but the... We, we got this. <laughs> But the the interesting thing here is how how I predict that everyone's going to lose their mind, especially the Warhawks, going to say this is an aggressive action by China and it's terrible. And how could dare they put troops so close to our border? Meanwhile, we are literally running troops in Poland, in Romania, only a couple hundred miles from the border of Russia. How far? It's saying it's obviously a defensive alliance that could not possibly ever prompt anyone to believe it's aggressive, despite NATO's history of aggression, and how dare Putin not see that it says defensive alliance and therefore believe that this is somehow provocative and therefore be the causus belli, just or unjust, for the invasion of Ukraine? Well, I have a question pertaining directly to China and you know the U.S.'s potential aggression towards China. How far is uh, tai Taiwan from from China? About the same distance, like thirty miles, something like that. It's very, very, it's very close. close. Yeah. So, I mean, is this a tit for tat scenario? And and also the the Chinese doctrine is that Taiwan is China. Yeah, right? like right. also our doctrine is the Monroe Doctrine. History lesson: the Monroe Doctrine says the West, the Western Hemisphere, is the United States. If any power gets in there, it's equivalent of the Act of War. What gives us the right to do that? We've got more bombs. <laughs> Everything's predicated on force. Might makes day. right. That's the rule, right? That's that. That's that. That says that, right? So when we say. Hey, guys, that's a different question than moral thinking, right? And if I may, what I appreciate about the philosophy of liberty is it applies moral thinking in all circumstances. And it says, hey, I don't know what the right answer is here, but this is maybe the moral cost. Right? Here's the moral cost of what you're thinking about. So if your country is in charge of your country and not in charge of the world, what is the just role of your country in the world's foreign policy, in your foreign policy? If we have the Monroe Doctrine that applies here, why doesn't it apply to China? Why isn't the South China Sea China's? Why is the Strait of Hormuz not Iran's? Why is the Black Sea, at least the components of it that are you know, relevant to Georgia, um, Russia, things like that, um, not relevant to the actors there, and first relevant to us, way on the other side of the planet? We have a standard that we don't obey and that we then apply on others, and then we're surprised when others use their standard and call us hypocrites, right? And say, hey, you guys aren't, you guys are, you guys are the world empire here. You're not, you're not what you say you are. We, we have this myth that we believe that we're not that, but then we act like an empire. And then we say, but we're not, we're just, we're the good guys, right? We're the ones saying, hey, China, you have less right to the South China Sea than we do. 
because we're afraid you're going to shut down trade. Why would China shut down trade in the South China Sea? What possible reason could they have? They're completely relying on trade, right? Right. The South China Sea goes down China to Africa and Indonesia and all these other areas where they have trade relations. Why would they shut that down? Oh, well, they might constrain it for our ships. Well, why would they do that? Maybe because we're militarizing something that they claim in their Monroe Doctrine to be their territory, Taiwan. So, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying any solutions here. All I'm doing is pointing out problems. It doesn't mean that what we should necessarily do is, you know, literally give Taiwan, China. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. But there's a whole other, whole bunch of variables here. What is Japan's relationship with this? What, 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 would Japan have a problem with China sitting in the South China Sea? What about South Korea? Also uses those for trade lanes. What would their response be? Why is it on us to make this decision? Why wouldn't we be supporting our allies in this space to actually have a stake in their own defense, right? Like there's way more, at least not, I'm not talking about complete like Fortress America stuff. You can be a complete realist and, you know, see the world in terms of, hey, this is power. This is ultimately, we got to wield power in a way that, you know, keeps Americans safe and free. So we got to do something here. Well, there's way less, way more restrained, more, way more realistic ways to go about go, uh, doing that in China than just militarizing Taiwan, putting troops there, doing all the stuff we're doing there. And especially given the fact that we can't do that now because we've given all of our weapons to Ukraine. Right. So anyways, that's kind of a rant. I'm, I apologize. But there's a lot going on there and it is something that's not being talked about. And we are, we have no perspective on this as a country. Like we just, we just, we just hear it and we just blank it out. And it's like the most important issue facing the world right now we had nuclear armed you know countries you know face to face ufc pre-bout face to face and the history in of of humankind is on the line and we're like you know i don't know kim kardashian did something this week you know it's like <laughs> i don't know i i'm just just saying yeah no it's it's true it's true the, i think the question a lot of people probably have is well like well then what what do we do about it because the people in charge are obviously the ones flirting with this utter disaster so like what role do we have to play and i don't i'm not asking you for an answer yeah. that's, that's somewhat rhetorical because i mean it's a big question well i do have some prescriptions but i don't think i don't know i gotta do some more work on it because like I, I i one of the things i actually listened in on this week the quincy institute it was great great think tank had a really interesting discussion this week about a, a more america first realism real restrained uh, vision for chinese relations because, I mean, China has a tremendous amount of disincentives to a lot of bad behavior, right? And we tend to, in our foreign policy dialogue, especially the Republicans right now, tend to really underplay that and really overplay the bad things they're doing. They do do bad things. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm an anti-government guy, right? I'm, I'm a small government guy. There's no way the Chinese communists are close to my vision right here. All I'm asking is what is, what is the role of America in this role in, in the world? And to me, it isn't clear that the current pathway is actually doing us a lot of good. Obviously, strategic amb ambiguity for Taiwan is probably better than what Trump did, which was more like, you know, we're going to defend Taiwan to the last man sort of thing. Um, and Biden's kind of reestablished that, so there's some credit there, right? We want to actually keep it vague about what our commitments are because then they can't play against us. Think about it like a chess. You don't want to do is overposition. You want to keep your you want to keep your options open so that you're not vulnerable, right? If you overposition, then you've limited your options. You're too far across the board. You can't, you can't do anything. So uh, the, the question is, is, is our overall strategic placement available or possible to actually defend against an expansion of, uh, from China, right? Probably not. 
Right. No, we're all over the place. Right. We're way overextended. So, so it, I, it, the, the first question has to be that meta strategy question and backing up to there and saying, what is the purpose of U.S. foreign policy? How do we guarantee American safety and security and freedom? Right. How do we do that with our foreign policy? Well, it's probably not that one we're doing right now in a whole bunch of dimensions that we've talk, covered on the podcast. But when it comes to China, a few things specifically is empowering South Korea and Japan, key allies in the area that are democratic and friendly and actually have stake here. Right. What was the best response to if you could roll back the, the clock in on our relationship with Russia to the early 2000s? What was the best way to deal with Russia, knowing what we know now? Well, it obviously wouldn't have been saying, hey, Ukraine, come into NATO. It would have been saying, let's repurpose NATO into a trade block and let's drop all the all the militarism of it. Let's not do all this stuff with NATO. Let's not do the stuff in the Middle East, too, please. And then <laughs> and, and let's and, and, and let's empower those people to have a stake in their own security. So we're not subsidizing Germany with security guarantees. Instead, Germany's defending Germany and Germany's interests. That way, the Minsk Accords might have gotten enforced. Because when the Minsk Accords came across, Germany didn't have any incentive to actually enforce it because they didn't have any military stake in it. Well, they had incentive, but it was like an indirect incentive. They wanted the natural gas, but they didn't want uh, the, the potential spiraling of violence. So the so because of our, and not, not just exclusively because, but at least a component to our actions in this space, was an under was was us saying that we could handle it all and we can't and it would make more sense to allow the people who are more directly affected by this do more to guarantee their security in their region and there could be a role for america in that i mean we have the best arms in the world so maybe that's what we do right but uh i'm i'm not sure that the more expansionist neoconservative aggressive war hawk stuff that's been our policy for a very long time now has been working. So we need a new direction. I think China's a, a, a good example of that, especially when it comes to our relationship with Japan and South Korea. Because right now, Japan probably would like a large army, but we won't let them have one. Right. Well, it is working for someone. Our policy is working for someone. And it's, yeah. it's the people that make the weapons, as we often point out on the show. Mm. I want to make sure that we have time to get to Kyle's wheelhouse here because there's some interesting news coming out of uh, the SEC. Do you... Do you yeah, want to jump well, into that? The, yeah, it wasn't. It's the aftermath of the SEC stuff. So, like last week, I talked about how the SEC was cracking down on um, Coinbase and Binance, which are two major crypto exchanges. Um, they were basically saying that they're illegally trading unregistered securities, blah, blah, blah. It tanked the crypto market. Um, one week later, now, and I think this is a perfect example of, of understanding how these entities tend to operate, is. You have BlackRock applies for a, bit, a Bitcoin ETF, which is essentially just it's a financial instrument for people to be able to um, to invest in Bitcoin. And then you have Fidelity and a bunch of these like uh, Charles Schwab and a bunch of these other big entities that people have probably heard the names of and don't really understand what they do um, mm -hmm. um, are basically launching crypto exchanges. So you end up having uh, a week ago, it was like, oh, no, it's the end of crypto. Uh, everybody's going to have to move overseas, all of these businesses, and everybody's super concerned about it. And then uh, one week later, all the major, the, the strongest financial, financial institutions in the country are all like, hey, we're getting on board with this crypto thing. And then phew, price is the highest it's been. Bitcoin's the best performing asset of the year right now. Wow. So. We are not financial advisors. <laughs> no, but, but no, I'm just like, like by the numbers, yeah, 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 it's, the, yeah. it's the highest performing asset I, I, of I, any I, asset. In I'm, right just now. Yeah. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, he's not joking. We are not financial advisors. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, we're not joking about not being <laughs> yeah, that, financial advisors. <laughs> I'm misspeaking constantly through that. My bad. 
<laughs> yeah. But no, it's it just, it's worth noting how these institutions operate. Uh, is there direct collusion that's happening here? Is there kind of like, hey, FUD the market? FUD is fear, uncertainty, doubt. It's a finance term. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's interesting seeing how this is all playing out. Like pretty much everyone that I know in the crypto space, everybody's just like, wow, this is just blatantly corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> but Well, that's one of the interesting things about the crypto space is for so long it is, it doesn't have a lot of regulation. Obviously that's the whole, that's know, the whole point. basis of yeah. this SEC lawsuit is like, well, the rules are so unclear, but that's allowed for there to be a lot of market manipulation by some of the bigger players in the space. And now it just looks like these traditional financial institutions are coming in and saying, well, if you guys can make money manipulating the market, maybe we'll do it too. And maybe we'll do it, you know, with the help of the SEC coming in and spreading some FUD, whether that was, you know, collusion or not, if they were just opportunistically taking advantage of that, it seems like they've come in and, and tried to, uh, you know, it, it, it has obviously juiced the market. Whether or not they've benefited from that, I don't think we know. It's, right? it's, worth, it's worth noting too, this is something that I didn't have on here, but um there is kind of BlackRock is an interesting institution, very interesting institution. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, is like the whole ESG thing that's become part of public parlance now is that's his baby. Like this is his thing is the ESG standards being put on businesses as basically this bullying tool of uh, saying like what you can and can't do and trying to every make, make everybody socially accountable and you know all this stuff, all these words. Um, when I first learned about ESGs, it was because of BlackRock tr uh, trying to enter the space in 2018. Like they were, they were looking at putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet, all this stuff. And this was always a big thing for the crypto people of like, you know, one of the biggest things that's going to send us to Valhalla on the price is that is that all these big institutions are going to start buying it. Like they're going to do this Michael Saylor micro strategy strategy of just buying a bunch of Bitcoin and using it as like a hedge against inflation. So what you ended up having is BlackRock and a bunch. Uh, Larry, Larry Fink is basically just like saying Bitcoin is environmentally unfriendly. It's not good for ESG scores. So what you end up having is all these companies, they go to miners and they're saying like, hey, we really want to buy Bitcoin, but it's not green. Can you can you guarantee us that these virgin coins recently mined Bitcoins are green? And mine, so all these miners are like, okay, we'll just we'll put a bunch of bunch of solar pa panels. We'll do all this stuff and we'll mine green Bitcoin. And but you're going to have to buy that green Bitcoin at a premium. So it's basically like you end up having like two different types of Bitcoin. It's like dirty Bitcoin and green Bitcoin. And and all these companies are like, no, but we want the we want the other price of Bitcoin. They're like, no, sorry, you're going to have to buy at a premium. So then all these companies didn't do anything. So, so you end up you end up seeing how the um, the incentive structures of ESGs. This is why, like I've said on this podcast, is I've I've always thought that ESGs were like a Trojan horse that are purposely designed for creating bad incentives that create malinvestment in the mm. economy, which then leads to banking collapses and things like that. Like I think it's an actual like tool for destabilization. Well, it's causing companies to act contrary to their best interests. Exactly. I mean, a perfect example is is the Spud Light thing, where you know they pissed off conservatives and like. I mean, conservatives are like have to be the bread and butter customer of a Bud Light product, right? You can't think of a NASCAR race without thinking of a Bud Light. There's a lot of conservatives at a NASCAR race. Yeah. I'm not trying to be, you know, judgmental or anything. Well, like that. you had the but, vice president, right, being like, "We want to get away from the frat boy culture." Well, right. Stuff, that, right. Yeah, that was the the VP of uh, in the marketing department yeah. who, who okayed the whole Dylan Mulvaney campaign that caused him so much flack. I mean, I think Target is sort of a, uh, somewhat of a different issue, but similar, right? Like it, it caused a huge backlash because they're trying to do all these things to make sure they have the right ESG score, they're doing the right thing socially. And, and you know, if that's like core to your company's values and your customers understand that, that's one thing. 
But to be a corporation understanding, okay, I have to align myself with this philosophy if I want to get funding from some of these huge asset managers, if I want to be invested in by, you know, in their a part of their portfolio of publicly traded companies, I have to I have to follow the rules. I have to cross these T's and dot these I's. That's it's actually damaging their relationships with their customers. It's damaging their core business. It's damaging their stock prices. It's doing all these things that are causing their companies to go down, which I've heard from people, this theory that it's actually a means of actually tearing down the American economy, like overall. And that's, I think there's something to it. It gets into some maybe more conspiratorial space, you know, because there's a lot of factors in play there and a lot of coincidental stuff, but, or circumstantial stuff rather. But you have the situation where these companies are acting against their own best interest and it is just going to slowly but surely kind of bring them down from if, the if they didn't have the standard that they would have to go with, you wouldn't be seeing all this like crazy woke HR structures that are happening. Like everybody's trying to get their proper diversity score and everybody's trying to do all this stuff. So they're making decisions they otherwise wouldn't have made that would be that would result in better profit margins. And same with the environmental stuff. It's like now we got to be concerned about all this green, all this stuff, you know, and everything. Um, and what you end up having is like, where's the shareholder value on that? Right. It's like, like to me, it seems like if you're following these scores, you're going, you're anti-shareholder value. I think shareholders should be like, should be demanding that you're not going against these. But it's the best way to scores. get an infusion alone, right? And that's the the capital play in this, right? You get mm-hmm. a high ESG score, so you're more likely to get financing, which raises your stock well, price, and- which means you could sell your stock price, and like, it's the financialization focus that is inherent in having. It wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't mention monetary policy. When you have a monetary policy, as <laughs> such that we do, it places an overemphasis on finance and less emphasis on savings and production. Debt and finance go up, savings and production go down. When you have artificially low interest rates over 100 years, that's the inevitable result. So a uh, long time ago, I was mentioning like we don't know the incentive structure of what it means to individual psychologies to have low interest rates for a very, very, very long time of how many things down the line of human behavior that changes. And maybe one of the things that it changes is this, this structure that says it's way more important for shareholders, boards, executives, all that kind of stuff to care about ESG scores than to care about the value that they deliver to their customers. Because to them, financialization is way more important than production. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's completely right. Uh, another part of this dynamic that I think is interesting is the your theory of it's it's like built on there's this lady she has this uh it's a thing called everything is a scam right have you guys ever heard of this no everything is a scam <laughs> yeah everything is a scam right so like the licensure for your business for for your that you want to go into it's a scam it doesn't actually guarantee safety there's actually a ton of studies about that licensure it actually doesn't improve safety it actually just rises increases prices and keeps low income and less qualified less asset you know um uh wealthy people out of that market uh, another one would be like colleges. How much of it is a scam? Can you really do it? Uh, does it really cost $60,000 to go to college? Can you get a better job doing it less? It's another kind of like, she doesn't mean overt scam, but it's kind of like everything's scam. So you expanded on that and it's everything is a syndicate. Yeah. Right. Or, or yeah, a syndicate or, or a cult. Yeah, everything, everything is a <laughs> It's one of, one of the two. <laughs> you need to unpack that for everybody. I think this exactly touches on that idea, right? Because it's like, this is kind of one of those scams, right? It's kind of one of those things that indicate the old money kind of grift on the system trying to keep new money out, right? See, Coinbase is the new money, right? And then you have these existing financial regimes that have exactly the same licensure, exactly the same, selling exactly the same product, but one is on the outside because they're the new money and they're on the inside and they have the regulators and they're the old money. 
Yeah, I, I have two directions. Do you want to say something? I just first? want to make one minor adjustment to that. I yeah. think that they aren't selling the exact same products. The main point is that they're only selling the 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 or they're only yeah. offering trading of the exact crypto assets that are not securities, according to the SEC. Yeah, right? yeah. So like Bitcoin yeah, yeah, this exchange, I, um, this exchange, it's like it's supposed to be like Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, uh, Litecoin, and Ethereum, because sometimes that's considered a security and sometimes it's not. Right. It's very but unclear, it, Mr. Gary Gensler. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> invalidate your point, but really what it is, is is these big players letting the new money take the fall, mm. get sued by the SEC, whether or not there's any collusion there, we don't know, but then saying, okay, well, these are the ones that are safe to play with. Cool. We know what the rules are now, at least enough to say, we'll jump in here and not everywhere else. Well, and I think, oh man, there's, there's two different directions I could go with this. One, the first thing is, if you're using crypto through these entities, you are not using crypto, right? Um, you are going to be giving these entities full custody of your coins and you are not, the whole purpose of Bitcoin is that you can be your own bank. <laughs> like, and what you're do, effectively doing is you're asking BlackRock to be your bank and be your custodian for your Bitcoin and they will have complete control over it. So like they'll, they'll be able to censor you. They'll be able to stop you. You're basically just going, you're, you're going to be going from like, oh, I'm going to have my cash at Wells Fargo to I'm going to be having my Bitcoin with BlackRock. Like you're not doing crypto right if you're doing this. Um, it was just it's nonsense but i think that there's a thing i think there is kind of a, a game theory play here that is these entities want to take control as much of the market as they can hmm. like I, I and especially if you're a proof of stake network unlike bitcoin so this is gonna be technical there there's coins that there's there's different validation mechanisms my computer is sending me notifications there's different validation mechanisms for like what keeps the network secure and one is proof of work which is what bitcoin operates and this is what the mining thing is i won't go too deep into that but it's like you're mining bitcoin and you're validating the network and you're making it secure um others are proof of stake which is basically you're putting financial stake of the coins into these nodes that are the governing structure of the network so if these entities start accumulating and being the custodians over all of these different people's uh, coins and they're the ones that are that are staking the currency. They're going to have the the most voting rights on on the network. And Ethereum is a proof of stake net, stake network as of last year. So th there's just there's some game theory elements of why I would be very skeptical of using these uh, financial instruments that these uh, companies are putting. But also in regards to your syndicate thing, uh, we also had the James O'Keefe stuff that came out where he uh, caught. He's a kind of low level on the totem pole. He caught this guy who's a recruiter for BlackRock mm. on a date because that, that's not a date. That's James O'Keefe. <laughs> <laughs> we got we to pull up that meme where it's like it's oh, James O'Keefe and it's like very clearly a dude dressed in drag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, that's not a hot girl. That's James O'Keefe. <laughs> um, but uh, the guy was just saying, and you know, a lot of this is him being probably hyperbolic and stuff like that. But I think it does showcase the mentality that even a kind of a low level HR recruiter type of person at BlackRock has of being like, oh, War is good for us. War is good for making money. And it's like, oh, like, uh, yeah, oh, you know, it's actually not that hard to buy a politician. It's only like $10,000 for a senator, right? right? Like, these are the types of things that he was saying, right? But it shows, like, how mob-like these entities really operate as, is like, like, all these are, they're just mafias. They're just syndicates. Like, and when you start to look at things that way, like, the world becomes so much more clear, um, especially when you see all these government agencies with the SEC and the CFTC and the FCC and all the alphabet letters, right? Like all of it just comes down to is like, they are just bullying their weight around on things. Totally. It's not, um, well, and you see, you see the culture 
of that kind of entity through the eyes of even this low-level guy who the way he's speaking in these interviews or in, the, in these these hidden camera interactions with this person he's, he's on a date with, he he's all focused on like domination and like, oh, you know, it, what did he say? It was like um, every day I'm, you know, I'm deciding people's fates or something to that effect. You know, he's like, he has these airs of just power and he's just like drunk on it. You can just tell he just, he just revels in that, like that place of knowing he has something over someone else. And wherever that comes from, I don't know, but I think that that's indicative if if someone at the very bottom of that totem pole acts that way, you know it has it has to be pervasive that it's attracting people like that from the very bottom up. I it's just a part, it's read, just a big part of Wall Street culture too. Like yeah, like yeah. all these people sure. are like this. Like yeah. I've talked with people exactly. like this. Like they have these mentalities. <laughs> like yeah. it's not that crazy. Yeah. I just think he read the gorilla mindset and that's what it was. <laughs> He's just Mike Cernovich <laughs> on this. <laughs> Sorry, I had to I had to make fun of that again. <laughs> But but it also comes down to of I think um, in the structure of like the people that are running for public office, people like RFK Jr., people like Vivek Ramaswamy, um, Trump to a, to a large degree as well. I think kind of operates in this mindset. Like, are you breaking the illusions that people have about these systems? Like, cause so many people have this fantasy view of what politics is. They have this like utopia, this naive utopian vision of just like, oh, we're going to create the perfect society and things like this. No, politics is a blood sport where everybody is just like trying to dominate each other. That is what politics is. And what I am most interested in, it's not like, oh, do you have the, the perfect nuance view of tax policy and stuff like that's not the thing that I care about for for the people that are running for president. I care about the people that are kind of putting this vision forward that is exposing these systems for what they are in a very realistic, practical sense of like understanding that these are all just syndicates. Um, the, this, this big structure that we have that we call the state or call government is just like this religious this mafia that we've developed a religion around and everybody has this blind faith towards it of like oh we have to have this because it's just for some reason like <laughs> you know like yeah you know, everybody's wearing suits and everybody's proper they're making the correct decisions for us like any anything that's exposing that is like that's the people that I'm the most interested in right now. And you'll see them. These are also the people that are getting censored. They're the people that get all the investigations on them. They're the ones that get the indictments. They're the ones that go through uh, car rides in Dallas, right? <laughs> like that, They are the ones that do this stuff. And you have to understand how, how mobsters work. Yeah. And this is how it works. Okay. Going to get dark for Fire. a second. Dark for a second. What are the odds RFK makes it through 2024? Wouldn't it wouldn't it be wild? Like just as a historical phenomenon, JFK, RFK, RFK Jr. <laughs> I don't know. I, I no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, Me it either, was, it's actually. a very different age, though. Too. I mean, think about the difference in media now. It's gonna be a lot harder to get away with, right? Uh, the, how much information? No, I don't know, dude. The I Clintons mean, do it all the time. No, wait, Epstein didn't we, kill himself. Epstein we still did don't not know kill much himself. about the shooter in Las Vegas. Like that was. Ooh, ooh, yeah. We thought we were deprioritized now, but yeah, a, what yeah, was but, his motivation? Evan, <laughs> he was, he yeah. was, his dad didn't love him, and uh, I think. I <laughs> no, that's a very interesting story. White pill, white pill, yeah, white pill. All right, I want to tell you a story. <laughs> Buckle up, your local government, your state government, whatever. This is London, so it's what it is. Unitary. You got to do it in a British accent. Oh, <laughs> ultra low emissions zone cameras are used in London. I'm actually, Just, no, I'm actually okay. going to veto that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's not do that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so these they, they install these new cameras, right? They're ultra-low emission cameras that are used in London to scan number plates and automatically fine people who drive cars that don't meet emission standards. 
They find they find them twelve pounds, fifty ounce a day. It's another cast sunstein thing. Like nudge, nudge. That's the word nudge. I was looking for. That's nudge. a nudge, oh. nudge regulation. A group of citizens started taking them down illegally. So I'm not encouraging anyone to violate the law, but they take them down. They call themselves. This is the best part. Blade Runners. Now that's a very specific reference to a movie and a and a and a science fiction no- uh, novel. Um, yeah, very cool. So these guys basically they have that they hate it, they don't like it, so they start taking these down and they start publishing it on like you know deep web stuff about what they're doing, and they literally have like dozens of these. I saw the cameras. video on Instagram. Yeah, guy with like a whole garden shed full of these things. They're and they're all pretty big. I mean, it's yeah. yeah, I don't even know. It's like the size of a mailbox or something like that. You know, they're just like full. It's a wild story, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's I mean, awesome, talk about though. had enough and and just like and especially something so petty. And, ty- and tyrannical in like this petty well, way. But but that's not petty though. Twelve fifty a day yeah. if you're driving a car that doesn't meet emission standards. That's, mm. I mean, just do that math. Mm. Over a month, that's uh, rent. That's mm. uh, utility bills. That's that's so much money. Oh, we got the, we got the video here. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. I, I don't have the sound on because I don't think the sound probably matters. He's but basically kind of see that yelling. has all of it right here. Yeah, British, we're looking British at British C words all, all throughout. <laughs> Oi, this is all I use. Uh, <laughs> 10 mil socket. 10 mil socket, guys. That's the yeah. key. But very interesting. Very interesting. I oh, had man. trouble figuring out what... Oh, yeah. And then a, <laughs> and then a, a T30. 10 mil socket and a T30. Uh, smart man using gloves. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So it's, what's, what's so wild about it is just, it's just that... You guys remember when Domino's started like fixing potholes? Do they still do that? Domino's Pizza? Yeah. yeah. I do remember that. They, yeah. They had, they, they, had like a, they had like an actual truck that was labeled as Domino's that was laying the asphalt down and everything. And really? fixing potholes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's genius marketing. Right. Right. I mean, as far as like there's – obviously, that's the legal thing to do. So do more of those and less of the illegal I'm actually things. not so sure it's legal. I think there was a guy somewhere arrested for filling potholes in his oh, own town. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing that just recently. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. He was like filling in a pothole because the local government wouldn't do it. I mean, yeah, there was a guy who did that, and then I'm pretty sure he got fined or something like that. Anyways. Yeah, there was another cat who was. Uh, they were going to build a like a little stair into a park that he lived by, and they were going to chart. They're going to. It's going to cost like the local government like three million dollars to do it. And he went out and he spent a couple hundred bucks and built it himself. They took down the 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 stairs that he built the and fined him, and then they spent the millions of dollars on it to do it themselves. Sweet. Yeah. Government, I, you know, yeah. but that that is white pill right there. You just do it, and maybe you take, maybe you eat a fine, but damn it, you are a story. You're you're a story of inspiration of people actually just taking control of their local community. Yeah, doing the right thing. You know, an, another white pill. This is a shift from here, and we don't have it in the sure. notes. But I, I just got back from Canada, and I'm uh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no it, like I, I had like at least <laughs> I had like at least sixteen like 16 different unique people saying like, I just live in a communist country. <laughs> like, like it was like a very weird. No, but like something I will say is like the mentality in people that I noticed since like stuff like the trucker rally and things mm. is like a lot of Western Canada right now, they're kind of going through like a, almost like a 10th amendment type of thing. Like the 10th amendment, America's state's rights mm. and states kind of being able to take control of you know, their state from the federal government. There's like this very much this provincial rights attitude that's happening in places like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, places like that, which mm-hmm. are kind of, that's middle Canada. Like I'm from like the Kansas of Canada. <laughs> so, uh, fly over Canada. Fly over, <laughs> fly over Canada. Um, 
but it was just very interesting to see people's kind of uh, mentality on this. Is like, mm. like for instance, I, th- I think it was the premier of Alberta, or maybe it was like the mayor of N- Calgary or something. I can't remember. Got banned from Twitter recently, and it was like a super conservative person. Mm. Um, just like while I was there, got banned from Twitter. Oh wow! Um, but it, it's just it, it's interesting to watch just like the frame of mind that I'm seeing in people of people being like, we are so done with everything that happened over the last few years in Canada. Mm. And it's like we are like taking our provinces back, kind of a mentality. Like there's a very, very much like this nullification idea that is permeating through western canada right now that's awesome. that i just noticed a little canadian see. reporting yeah. exclusives hot on the news hot on the news canada. directly from canada no, just me. got back <laughs> <laughs> hey it's, it's important to know something about our neighbors to the north I'm no but it, it is it, it is that thing yeah. is like the the, tr- the trucker rally thing seems see, it seems to have been a it, it's been a major event mm. like like I'm just seeing it everywhere. Like, you know, like we talked about like the Bitcoin conference happened and RFK spoke about it. It's talking about freedom of money and stuff. Like that was a very central message that happened there. Like that Canadian trucker event was like a major shift in a lot of people's minds. It seems like wow. on just a lot of issues. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, they were going after people's kids. Well, they were stuff. shutting people's bank accounts down. And yeah. Things, for right? protesting like, the government. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. Well, and you were saying something too about, uh, firearms regulations there yeah we were talking about that beforehand is uh the handgun uh, i had my i had some family telling me about like the more the specific details of it is like yeah you can't buy or sell firearms anymore like if you have a registered firearm or specifically handgun like you can sell shotguns rifles um AR- ar-15s are banned but uh handguns if you are licensed with a handgun you are the last owner of that handgun it gets turned in after you die you don't have to turn it in now it gets turned in after you die you can't wow. there's no inheritance for it it can't be passed down to your children like or, whoever is the you know, license the government's going to be there after you die yeah. like where's the handgun whoever at? whoever's yeah. licensed with the handgun and you are you're, you're the last person to own that yeah grandpa said he lost it in an unfortunate boating accident <laughs> Dude, uh, so many boating ac- accidents happening in, in the lakes around manitoba right now it's like <laughs> guns just littered on the bottom of lakes everywhere <laughs> yeah, oh boy but, well, so one more white pill yeah elon musk and uh, mark zuckerberg fighting I'm all for watching billionaires and politicians duel each other. I'm, I'm, I want to bring it back. Bring it back. This is like, this is, this is when late. did we have it? This it's, is late it's stage. It's real life celebrity death match. Well, this is like, this is Only like, like a <laughs> little bit less than 90s death kids will get it, <laughs> yes, right? I'd be yes. like, oh man, we yes. need to claimation. This is like late stage <laughs> Rome, right? It's like late stage Rome. It's like very bread and circus. I love oh, it. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm digging it. Absolutely. We'll take that kind of circus for sure. Um, I think we should put uh, Biden and RFK in a ring. RFK is fit. Like if, if you see that picture of him next to yeah, Rogan, you're jacked. like, Woo, good. Yeah, he's like 60 years old, looking good. <laughs> probably that TRT. <laughs> probably. I, I don't know, but probably. Oh yeah, for sure. He's, uh, he's got. No, said, he's got uh, no fighting Biden. Biden can't walk. <laughs> I know. Dude. He would just like kind of help him to the edge of the ring, just like help him out. Like, <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd trip on the stairs trying to get in. <laughs> <laughs> he'd never make it in. Break a hip immediately. Hot take from F. Oh, you get into the love ring and be like, where's Jill? I don't know where to go. <laughs> All right. This is elder abuse. We got to stop. Oh, God. We're, we we're, get, we're ages. We right only now. get 20 seconds of Did you guys see the video of him abuse. pledging allegiance to the uh, to the Indian flag with his hand <laughs> over his heart? And then he realizes it and he's like, <laughs> very slowly moving it down like no one's going to notice. It is the most awkward, hilarious. I have it mostly because I can sympathize. Right? Because you're just, he's probably not thinking about it. And he just put his hand up there and he's like, uh oh, this is the wrong one. How do I get away with it? I can't just yank it down. Everyone will notice. So he just very <laughs> slowly moves it down. And the funniest, it's a Friday, guys. We got to laugh a little bit, especially <laughs> okay. watching I found, the world. I found it. Watching, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
Okay. Blow it up. Blow it up, Kyle. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, fuck. You realize it yet? Like, no. He looks very stoic, very stern. Like he's about to cry. He's like, wait, I don't recognize this song. He's got the Clint oh, Eastwood. Oh, oh, oh. He's got the Clint Eastwood face gonna... going on right now. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's some Gran Torino Biden right there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, man, he had a bunch of those this week, man. It looks it was... like he was about to salute it at first. Uh, this, this whole diplomatic thing with India was uh, – smorgasbord of funny Biden clips. Well, I saw that I saw a clip where um, they were walking down a carpet, like a you know very ceremonial moment, and he 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 didn't know to let go of the prime minister's hand or president. I'm not sure. Is it, is it a prime minister in India? Prime minister. Yeah, didn't like know to let go of his hand, so he's just like holding hands with Jill and the prime minister <laughs> of India, <laughs> like walking down this carpet. It's just weird, uh, just, weird. Just, just old Grandpa Joe <laughs> just doing <laughs> Grandpa stuff. See, and this is the sad part. Is like really like we can laugh about it because he is the president. But like, man, people people need to be real. Like this guy needs to be in a rocking chair on a porch somewhere, right? Like telling his grandkids stories. I don't actually know that he has grandkids, does he? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, sure. He yeah. needs to be doing old man shit. Yeah. Not trying to look like he's still running this country when we all know he's not. And it's the people behind him pulling the strings and doing the stuff. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange moment. Imagine imagine how this is going to be read about fifty years from now. Be like, yeah, we had this president, and he probably had dementia, and he, he had the he had a memory of a fly. His own words. <laughs> Did he say that? Yeah. Oh you gotta buy you gotta buy that clip. I, he's like he's like, what about your memory? He's just like, I can't. When I think about, I don't even have the memory of a fly. But I, I can do everything I used to do. <laughs> oh, that's like, right. Was, when they're talking about his mental acuity, yeah. are you still sharp? And he's yeah. like, no. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, he's 80 years old. Like. I mean, it's, it's, and I don't, I, I don't want to be an ageist about it. And I mean that really, honestly. I mean, like, there's plenty of people who at the age of 80 are very sharp and, and are capable, right? And, but this, this guy, I mean, he's, he's having a hard time. And I, I really feel bad for him that he feels like he has to run again. I mean, and he doesn't have a VP that probably can win, I guess. I mean, she doesn't, she's not very popular. She's not coming across well. And so he's in a spot where he feels like yeah, he's got to run again at his age. I don't know that he, I don't know really if he even... feels like he has to run again. I think that there's a lot of like, uh, I remember I said this back in um, 2020, like I, I always believed that like the Burisma stuff that was going on was like a core f- core reason that he was still running like it, it had to do with this Burisma stuff hmm. like I think there was a lot of things about like cover-ups and I, it was either that or they're gonna come down on him yeah it was kind of like this type of stuff hmm. and um and he's just like a core establishment person in regards to these things well like I think that that's for. yeah that's the bigger thing is that his team his cabinet no he's just kind of the perfect front guy like he doesn't probably have much to offer in terms of policy suggestions he's not going to be putting up you know, any sort of fight over the things that they want to accomplish, that he's just the guy that walks around and does the ceremonial stuff while they're back there accomplishing whatever which is all they the, want. Which is really all the president's job is. Well, going back to going back to the James O'Keefe BlackRock guy, one of the things he said was it's not the president, it's the guy who's holding the president's wallet. Yeah, yeah, which, which I think True. is completely accurate. True. Yeah, I mean, it's accurate. And then it's also, there has been a lot of reports about just how political the Biden office is. Uh, Politico had some stuff on this. It was very interesting because a lot of positions that typically would be more career positions have been filled with political people. 
And it's a very dangerous thing when you think especially about foreign policy. But what that means when you're making policy in international relations with people who are, I mean, honestly, they're like me. They're like political. They're not, they're like campaign people. They're not even policy people. Right? I'm kind of split in half like that. They're campaigners, right? David, Put into that kind of role. I would be so much more at peace if you were involved <laughs> making decisions. I could never get a cl- security White. clearance ever. No, I'd rather no, have no. you treasury secretary then. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the question is there's there's a tr- there what to what degree do we see the policies coming out of Biden actually him what's actually the policy what's actually the interest group those are those those become so much weaker when you have a president who doesn't seem to know where he's at most of the time. I mean, like at least it, 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 the role should be like a CEO. It should be, I'm not doing a lot of the direct work. I'm kind of directing other people to do the work, right? That's, that's I mean, leadership in a large organization which, would look Which like I think way. is what the, the fundamental problem with the Trump presidency was, was I think he thought that's how it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he realized, though, these people aren't going to listen to me. Yeah. Well, right? additionally to that, he kept on, he had, a, he had a terrible vetting process, apparently, right? He just didn't know who to hire, who would actually be aligned to his values to take that out. Now, he did do good, some good. Like, look at the regulatory regimes change. Look at the stuff they did in energy. Look at all that, all that stuff. He did a lot of great things within hiring the right people to do those things. Now, the problem, the biggest problem, obviously, the biggest obvious problem, foreign policy and COVID, right? Where he just could not make the right hires and couldn't seem to change. Well, course. yeah, he, he he somehow magically found like he ended up having the right guy like after the election was lost in 2020. Right. Like uh, um, Douglas McGregor came in for like three weeks yeah. right at the end of the presidency. And he was like the guy that should have been there from the beginning. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, but instead he was a allure by, oh, Mad Dog Maddox and oh, that guy on Fox News I listen to sometimes. John yeah. Bolton. Yeah. yeah. It's like, as soon as I saw John Bolton, I was like, oh, well, John McCain's in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, but then, but then I, yeah, then afterwards I'm like, okay, I think Trump's trying to actually fight back against his administration, but it's kind of Trump's fault for putting himself in the position where he had to fight against his administration. Yeah. Um, but that was probably another, he was not just an outsider to the Republican party. He was also an outsider to conservative politics mm-hmm. and especially in the conservative wing, the old right wing that was also more aligned with his own foreign policy point of view. He didn't know any of those guys, right? So he didn't know who to select and all the people around him were all established, more establishment GOP people who only know their own guys. I mean, all of this stuff works by who you know. Well, well even in D.C. at the highest levels, there's no job posting on Indeed for Secretary of Defense. Well, <laughs> well, and this was the big problem too: is like, like all the conservatives were on board with John Bolton because he was like a Fox News guy, right. and they didn't like if if you were a if you were a libertarian and in libertarian circles, and you know you read a bunch of Rothbard, like you knew who John Bolton was, yeah, right. like you knew exactly what was going to happen, and the libertarian wing of the party is like, no, don't do that. Yeah. And then and then the conservatives like no John Bolton's the good guy Trump picked him he's got he's gonna be good and then, and then and then we watched yeah I was like he's the mustache yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but then but then Bolton betrayed him and everybody's like see all these conservatives come out and they're like see I told you John Bolton was bad it's like no you didn't I remember yeah. having these conversations with you you did not you were completely head over heels about John Bolton because he's the Fox News guy mm-hmm. but, well how much clout does Fox News have now with conservatives well has that changed T- T- Tucker Carlson I think uh, put a big I think Fox is dead. <laughs> La- nail in the coffin. I, I think a, the last of it is it dies off with the old generation. Well, there's a whole thing with uh, Matt Walsh doing. He like there's something about like they're forcing pride. They're forcing like. Oh yeah, I did see that. How they're 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 forcing all their employees to do a lot of like you know take all these courses or you know. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're, they're trying stuff. they're trying to moderate. Trying Which to moderate. Yeah. but that's like that's something they've been doing for a long time now. Anyways. It's not most large corporations do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, not, and like, it's like not news sensitivity training. Like, is it, does it do what 
it says it does. Does it increase tolerance and sensitivity? I'm not, I don't well, I doubt evidence it, but I think, I think the reason genuine? it's a story is because it's not genuine to the narrative that Fox was, it, or maybe well, is I, kind I, of pushing. I, I think right? the kids are going to, are going to be trying to sell off Fox at some point. So they have to moderate Fox to be uh, more viable as a uh, buy, as a buyout sure. in the hmm. future. Yeah, so I think that's more less so offensive to advertisers. And, and, and frankly, I think that's what's happening with a bunch of these, like uh, CNN, MSNBC. Everybody seems to be moderating a bit. Like everybody's taking away out their more extreme figures right now, and everybody's trying to moderate down. And I think there's going to be a bunch of sell-offs that end up happening down the road. More consolidation yeah. beyond just the yeah. six or, or, giant or a transformation that... of the company or something. Just because, like, the, the if if these entities do not change, they will die. Like, well, just... additionally, that accountability from decentralized smaller news, right, and and media is is forcing this on those folks right because like what you said earlier about vice and uh, uh buzzfeed they those those outlets all wrote the same article complaining about the same stuff every single week and it was all the same narrative and that's obviously uninteresting and only a small group of people want to listen to that so a lot of people are i i, I think the accountability from the new wave media is is pulling these things apart and making it less what it's been traditionally. Yeah. Hopefully what they'll do is they'll take it in a more hard news directive, right? Where they're actually doing actual investigative reporting, actually trying to hold systems and institutions accountable. Do you have any confidence that that's actually going to happen? <laughs> no, I mean, they have, they, they, <laughs> when you think about comparative advantage, right? If you have a huge budget and a large corporate like infrastructure, you're much more able to do that than if you're just some rando, right? Well, yes, but you're do. also, I mean, they're also so beholden to advertising dollars from yeah. like pharma, for example, right. or well, military industrial complex that they can't stray very far from their prescriptive right. narrative or or they're going to just talk themselves right out of a job. Well, and remember Vice's old motto used to be we go there because their, their entire their entire business model is that we're going to actually do the hard hitting investigative journalism, send reporters out to X country or whatever like that. But then they, then I think, comes around culture change it, i think vice went public and at some point i can't remember I but like you end up having all these incentives that just being like well let's not send people out anymore let's just get some clicks let's like, blog that ends up being so it's like back in the day remember like tim pool was a vice reporter that mm-hmm. went out to places right like that was that was how tim pool became popular now he has like one of the biggest shows in the world now too um but i i think that there is kind of this like shallowing out that tends to happen as you become more corporate it's like what you need kind of is for these entities, like what you need is more like James O'Keefe's types of people, like these kind of like roguish figures. If you're going to do investigative journalism, but as your institutions become more bureaucratic, you end up just getting LinkedIn professionals, right? Mm. Right. Right. And LinkedIn professionals are good for safety; they're not good for like going out and doing something hard hitting yeah. content. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I think that's what people want. At the end of the day, I think that's uh, it's not what ESG demands of these larger companies. So I think, you know, that sort of, they, they all become more and more vanilla the bigger they get. But I think that's why we're seeing them all fail. Something I want to say about ESGs. ESGs are kind of on their way out. It is kind of just becoming a co- colloquial term for these types of standards that get put on. Like, like Larry Fink himself said that we're probably done with ESGs, but they're just going to do a bait and switch here. Like you're, you're going to start, Change you're going to start seeing terms like sustainable capitalism and things like that Prediction that change. come up and conservatives will be able to say like, yeah, we beat ESGs and, and they're going to put up this like high idol of like, look at, we beat it. But then there's just going to be a bait and switch that happens and those will be the new things. It was global warming until it was climate change. Right. And yeah. Now, yes. And Name now, changes, right. And now when it's 40 degrees out, and almost July in Montana, where it should be 80 degrees every day. It's like 40 degrees when I woke up the other morning. It's climate change. It's not global warming. And it's beauty. That's what it is. It's awesome. 
Keep it up, Montana. Really? Oh, yeah. You man. like 40 degree mornings? Heck yeah. That's, that's shorts weather, bro. Dude, I love it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's I got, shorts. I got some meat on me, bro. I got, I got, I get, I get hot. That's fair. <laughs> I got less, so I need a, I need a few more degrees, you know, a few more. Now, 60 is perfect. 60 is perfect. If it's above 32, it's shorts weather. <laughs> Look, 40 degrees is shorts weather the first day. It's 40 degrees after being like zero for three months, okay? I will agree with Your you. Your blood there. is acclimated to it. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm on a tropical island right now. At this point, I want 75 and sunny. So if you want us to hire a hard-hitting investigative journalist, please like, subscribe. <laughs> I'm not committing to do that, but it'd be cool, right? We uh, need please like, subscribe, and, and uh, comment, and uh, drive that algorithm for us. And uh, I'm going to add an addendum to that as well. Yeah. Uh, since YouTube is totally going to just just throw us out completely when they get wind of this podcast, which clearly they haven't yet because we're so small, just go ahead and join us on Rumble because you know just just beat them to the whole like censorship thing. You'll find all our videos on Rumble too. Yes, they're all on Rumble as well. And just other pod, like podcast places, Spotify, all these places. Literally yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Like pretty much. Just got to get on Twitter next. We are on Twitter. Twitter. Oh, we got to release on Twitter. Oh, oh, we don't release on Twitter. Yeah, yeah eventually down the road, I could see us doing like, I, I people are moving there. I, was I, I, I imagine as, yeah. as the features start getting better, like right now, it's still kind of awkward to do video on Twitter, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I imagine down the road, like year or two down the road, I think uh, Twitter might be a viable YouTube competitor. All right. Hopefully so. Somebody give them a run for their money because, I mean, I love YouTube. It's a great educational resource, but it's run by totalitarians. I hate that. Knock it off, YouTube. <laughs> Do better. Do better. All right. Well, hey, good show. Anything, uh, any any last uh, notes before we wrap up? I've been on enough rants. Yeah. That was a great podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Liberty Portal podcast. For more episodes, news, and Liberty-focused content, visit libertyportal.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you heard on the show, we appreciate you sharing it with your friends and giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. 